0: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's a show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is out this week. So today we welcome Scott Lemons from the Mississippi chapter of the Nature Conservancy to the program. As the director of Freshwater Programs, Scott manages all freshwater conservation efforts for the Nature Conservancy, and he's here to talk about some of the latest projects, including the recent work with the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee. You can join our conversation this morning with a phone call, share some wildlife experiences you've had recently. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is out this week. Today we welcome Scott Lemons from the Mississippi chapter of the Nature Conservancy to the program. As the director of freshwater programs, Scott manages all freshwater conservation efforts for the Nature Conservancy. He's here to talk about some of the latest projects, including recent work with the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee. You can join our conversation this morning with a phone call, maybe to share some wildlife experiences you've had recently. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or you can send an email to animals at org. and a reminder that if you ever miss creature comforts on thursday morning it repeats saturday mornings at six so good morning to you both hope that you're doing well good morning good morning uh any interesting uh holiday experiences to share with us libby
2: oh my goodness i had lots of fun and really lots of fun outdoors uh Between the Natural Science Museum and Clinton Nature Center and uh, getting out on the Fanny Cook Natural Area a little bit. So it was really fun. But now it's gotten so cold. Yes, yes. I'm kind of wimping out.
0: I think I saw someone post it on Facebook, and I I think this is accurate, that it was colder the other day in Jackson, Mississippi than it was in Anchorage, Alaska which just goes to show you how how crazy the weather can be. Yeah. And although Dr. Major's not here, I think uh, there are a couple of things that, uh, having uh, had his advice before, that we can pass along. Things to keep uh, in mind about your pets. Again, want to make sure they have some water, uh, a shelter a place to, you know, stay out, uh, keep out of the uh, cold weather in the warmth um, uh, when it is this cold. Uh, and the other suggestion was, be you know, if your dog or something is an outside dog, maybe allow them to come into the garage or something like that. But make sure that they do have some place that they can go to stay out of the, uh, the cold and warm up. Uh, and, again, water is always very important. And, again, we could uh, remind folks uh, that have bird baths and that sort of thing that, again, in the cold weather, uh, make sure that the birds have that uh, access to water. Make sure that your bird bath or whatever source you've got for for the birds hasn't iced yeah, over. Yeah, it's
2: harder than you might think for both. Really, I I had to keep working with my. I have three dogs, you know, that are pretty much outside dogs, but they. I didn't have any trouble bringing them in for the nighttime. The last, I guess, week or so, and sometimes you have to almost catch them and make them come in. <laughs> Somehow, when it's a cold night. There must be lots of things to run around and bark at. Cause they like to run through the woods and bark. But they they did not argue about coming in to spend the night. They want to go back out as soon as it warms up, though. Hmm.
0: Uh, and I think it's uh, things do ice over easily. Although I thought it was funny, I was watching the the football pregame show on ESPN the other morning, and one of their reporters was in New England, and she had a glass, this was live television, she had a little glass of water, and she was trying to demonstrate how cold it was by showing that the glass of water had already froze, so she turned the glass over, and the water spilled out of it, but there was a little tiny bit of ice there, so she said, you know, so I thought that was kind of funny, but again, you know, with this cold weather in mind, uh, make sure that you keep your pets uh, and any wildlife uh, in your area, that you, like I say, birds or something, if you do anything for that, make sure uh, that they are, uh, have uh, protection as well well and hopefully the weather i think uh, from the reports i've heard uh, turns a little bit uh, next week a little bit warmer uh but uh, we all i think are shivering from this uh, just arctic blast and I, and i'll say too you know certainly we're not the only part of the country that is uh, suffering from this i think i was i thought i heard the other day on the news that the uh the bomb cyclone or whatever they're calling the the snow event in the northeast but said almost hurricane strength winds uh, with that weather system. So
2: yeah, we have to face it. We're kind of wimps about.
0: Well, I I will yeah. say that 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 you know, we get that reputation, but I think uh you know, 19 degrees even for hardy folks you're from the right, northeast right. going to get them cold. Yeah, that's
2: so. true. Well, where did you grow up? You were
0: Well, my dad was in the military, so roots, we we moved yeah. uh frequently, and actually I've lived more in the south uh, than elsewhere, but uh yeah, but uh, family roots are up uh, up in New York, and uh, we did spend some time uh, stationed in uh, Germany for a while, so Got some snow and some cold weather there, but uh, I I I don't have a whole lot of uh, of, of cold uh, cold weather experience, so it's uh, I don't know. To me, it's maybe it's a little bit easier to get cool than it is to get warm. That's an interesting uh, conversation that folks have a, a lot of times. Is you know, do you want to pile on the layers or do you want to take off the layers? I guess <laughs> whatever your preference is there. So uh, this morning we're going to be talking uh, with Scott Lemons from the Mississippi Chapter of the Nature Conservancy. So if you have some questions about the work of the conservancy, you could uh, give Scott a call this morning. Or if you have a brush with wildlife that you'd like to report to us, the number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So Libby, anything uh, new coming up at the museum?
2: January the 18th, that's a Thursday, a couple of weeks off, that night is Family Fun Science Night. So we're hoping, I guess, for a warm night, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, so you can get there easily after work, hopefully, with your kids. It's designed for elementary and middle school kids and their parents, and it's a way to learn about science as a family. Uh, they'll You'll get to actually experience, experience science in all kinds of fun hands-on ways. You play with robots and meet science wildlife. You know there's going to be animals out because it's at the Natural Science Museum. Uh, you get to conduct experiments, and then you also get to watch e- more serious kind of experiments be conducted. So you get to see some demonstrations. Develop your brain a little bit with crazy brain teasers. And... Then, importantly, there's going to be a food truck there, so you don't <laughs> have to worry about eating before you go. And uh, it's uh, just the regular admission prices. So I've, I've been to these before, and they were lots of fun.
0: Yeah, I've helped out on a couple events out there, and I think the, the folks at the museum do a really good job of teaching while, while you know, getting folks out in nature uh, and having a lot of fun, making uh, learning fun, which is always important for, for kids. And you said elementary and, and middle school kids, so that's. Uh, So if someone uh, is wanting to know maybe about events coming up at the museum, I guess the easiest way online would be to just Google Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and and the website will come up that way. All right. Uh, So let's welcome Scott Lemons to the program. Scott, uh, thanks for joining us this morning.
3: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, Let's start out. If folks aren't familiar with what the Nature Conservancy is, if you could tell us about that and a little bit about the mission of the conservancy.
3: The Conservancy is a nonprofit conservation organization. Our mission is to conserve the lands, uh, water, and air upon which all life depends. Uh, we have three offices here in Mississippi: uh, one in Madison, we have one down at Camp Shelby, and another office uh, down in Van Cleve on the Gulf Coast. Uh, the Nature Conservancy is present in all fifty states in the U.S. and over forty countries worldwide. And uh, when did it? Uh, when was it founded? In the let me think nineteen the late nineteen fifties. Okay, was when All the right. conservancy was founded.
0: And, and you know we've we've had guests from the Nature Conservancy on the show before, and one of the things that I'm always impressed about is that uh, their willingness to to have public Private partnerships, and in other words, working not only with the public agencies and entities, but really kind of engaging uh, private landowners to become involved
3: in conservation efforts. And do you think that's an important element of of the work that you all do? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the majority of our land base is owned by private landowners, and we have to work with our private landowners to implement conservation practices that will benefit wildlife, that will benefit uh, uh, their mission for, you know, what their conservation goals are for their property. Uh, our our uh, private landowners are our biggest conservationists. All right. Uh, again, if you'd like to call in this morning and join the conversation, the phone
0: number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can always send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so one of the current uh, conservation projects that you're working on is with the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee. Uh, first, tell us what that is and tell us about the, this current project.
3: Okay. So this we, we partnered with the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers uh, to work on uh, conservation projects on the Lower Mississippi River, uh, basically what we refer to as uh, side channel reconnection projects. Um the main channel of the Mississippi River, of course, it's been channelized, and there are dike fields within the river to divert the flow of the water to the center of the channel for both flood control and to maintain uh navigational purposes uh, for uh, uh transportation of goods and services up and down up and down the river.
2: All those barges that you see absolutely from the maintain
3: barge barge transportation uh and, and that that is a very very important uh, uh, uh challenge that, that the Corps of engineers has has to kind of weigh is one you know maintaining the navigational channel and two uh to be able to maintain- you know conservation benefits within the main channel of the river system. So a lot, what you have a lot of times is outside of your main navigational channel, you'll have a secondary or side channel. It might look like a little finger of the river that goes around an island or up against the bank. Now, a lot of times during low water events, these side channels get cut off from the main stem of the river behind these dike fields. So what we did, uh, and the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee has been doing this for a number of years, they work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to cut a notch in the the dike field and allow flow to enter that secondary channel during lower water events. This allows uh, fresh water, fresh oxygenated water, uh, to enter those secondary channels during times where uh, the river's low and it normally would have been landlocked and cut off. And this provides benefits for uh, fish passage, um, for a number of wildlife species, uh, several of which are threatened and endangered. Some of the uh, threatened and endangered species that it will benefit include uh, the pallid sturgeon, the fat pocketbook mussel, interior lease turn. Um, this type of work provides benefits you know for for all all species of wildlife from the invertebrate the invertebrate level all the way up the food chain it, it's excellent conservation practice uh and you know the the nature conservancy has a, a great interest in conservation on the lower mississippi river uh, so we reached out to the lmrcc or excuse me the lower mississippi river conservation committee uh about a year and a half ago uh, you know just talking and very interested in what we could do uh you know as far as conservation on the lower river and we started talking about side channel reconnection projects and that's something where uh, we were able to partner on again with uh lmrcc the u.s fish and wildlife service and the corps of engineers and the nature conservancy was able to bring you know some corporate private funding to the table to match federal funding to be able to implement these projects And we we just recently uh, finished our first partnership project back before Christmas on December 22nd. Uh, We implemented a a three-and-a-half-mile side channel reconnection project at Coffee Point, which is on the Louisiana side of the river uh, just west of the port of Claiborne in Claiborne County near Grand Gulf. All right.
0: Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting today on Creature Comforts with Scott Lemons from The Nature Conservancy. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 672 7464 You can always email the show, animals, at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more Creature Comforts
1: after this. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org.
0: Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And our guest today is Scott Lemons from the Mississippi chapter of the Nature Conservancy. He's their director of freshwater programs, and he's talking about the work that the uh, Nature Conservancy has done recently and is doing uh, and uh, so we uh, ask you for your uh, contributions this morning. Join our conversation if you have some questions about the work that the Nature Conservancy does. So you can give us a call, or if you've had a recent brush with wildlife or a wildlife question that you'd like to have answered, Libby's our general expert on that, and usually can give us some good information. The number to call to join the conversation is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So Scott, before the break, we were talking about this uh, side channel reconnection program, or project that is, uh, and we're t- you're talking about work on the lower Mississippi River. And what is the definition of the lower Mississippi River? Basically anything from uh, Cairo, Illinois, south to
3: head of passes.
0: Okay. Um, and I guess it was interesting as you were talking about it, it, it sounds like uh, that the, the that what was done to help the with navigation and flood control kind of created maybe a problem that was not foreseen when the work was originally done the creation of these side channels that kind of get cut off uh, from the main river when there's low levels of water so this was sort of a way to to continue to have that important work done for navigation efforts but also uh, to to sort of kind of undo maybe the mistake or the the problem that was created
3: yeah, well, you know, the, the dike fields that were put in, it was necessary to maintain the river for navigational purposes and flood control. Um, just one of the, the side, uh, I, I guess you'd say a, a side aspect of that is it, it does indeed cut off some of the secondary channels during low-flow events. Uh, but thank goodness we, we've identified methods to uh, uh, kind of open these side channels back up and allow flu- allow. Uh, flow to be restored to these secondary channels, and it, it, it provides excellent benefit, you know, for fish and wildlife habitat. Uh, so it, it's just, it's a really good way to kind of uh, I don't want to say offset some of the changes that were made to the Lower Mississippi River, but you, you're able to provide more natural flow uh, during times where there there normally w- was not.
0: And I guess then, um, when the when the level of the river is high, do you does it sort of like disappear can you not can you tell that there is a still a side channel or
3: is it pretty much no, during high water events you you can't tell the river will be full from bank to bank you know the river that. this is a conservation practice that that benefits about 6 months out of the year you know from about august through around christmas time is usually when the river kind of turns around and starts to rise from from winter flood pulse
2: and i will mention too one thing that is of course it's engineered. It's engineering. So the the dikes are placed just enough so that in real low events, you need all the water in that channel to be able to float your barges. So the way the dikes are made, they'll cut the water off for the secondary channel if it's getting to the point where it's not enough water for That's navigation. Correct. So it's, it's, it's kind of just made perfectly. Correct.
0: And it sounds like uh, sort of the threat is that uh, you had mentioned that cutting in or the side channel reconnection projects allows fresh oxygenated water to, to flow in there. So that obviously is the problem is when it gets cut off, the the things that uh, the fish need from the river, they have no access to.
3: That, that's correct. Mm. And, and, you know, during the late summer months when it's extremely hot, it, you know, if there's no flow going to those side channels, a, a, in the fall a lot of times the water will turn over and the oxygen will crash and you'll have fish kills in, in those side channels. And, and, you know, during drought years I've seen them dry up and it's just a completely dry riverbed. Uh, and and that's, that's the way Coffee Point was when we started work on it uh, December 19th. Uh, and when we completed the project, we'd restored flow to three and a half miles of, of secondary channel.
0: So um, other than maybe fish in the river, are, are there other types of wildlife uh, that benefit from, from these kinds of projects?
3: Oh, absolutely. Of course, you know, your fisheries are going to benefit. Uh, Or have the greatest conservation benefit, but also all of your your fishing bird species that provides additional habitat for them to forage, Uh, as well as, you know, species, uh, it provides conservation habitat for species such as Louisiana black bear, you know, Mm whitetail deer opportunities for them to come off the riverbank, drink water, things of that nature.
0: So um, is this um, an issue that that is uh, in other parts of the lower Mississippi? You, you talk, we're talking about this one that uh, that's done on the Louisiana side. Are there um, Have you identified maybe any other potential spots where the uh, reconnection project might be beneficial?
3: Yes, we have. Uh, I met with the LMRCC uh, back, I don't know, if four or five months ago and we spent an entire day we put our river maps down on the table and and we identified a list uh of potential opportunities basically from memphis south to to uh about new orleans so we, we do have a list of projects uh that we have identified all of these projects do indeed have to be approved by the u.s army corps of engineers and the notches that we cut are actually designed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and, and, and built to their specifications. And
2: there are a bunch of them that are already in there from Memphis down, but there's still more you can do. Huh? There there yeah. are.
3: The Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee ha- has done a large number of these projects in the Memphis district. Uh, Coffee Point was the first project that we have done in the Vicksburg district. And it's also the first, the
2: first one that TNC's yes. done, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah.
3: It, it's the first one that we've partnered on as well. And uh we, we look forward to moving forward on these projects yeah. in the future. This, there's a lot of opportunity.
2: North of Vicksburg, all that good fishing area there has been done for they were some of the first ones done, I believe. Correct. But because I know that LMRCC and Fish and Wildlife Service did those a while back.
0: So I don't get it's it's the dikes, is that the am I using that term correctly that are being what are they made of then how easy is it to kind of saw through? I mean, I don't know. Well,
3: they're made out of very large limestone rock. Okay. So what we do is actually put a bulldozer and a uh, track hoe excavator on a barge, use the the barge to mobilize it to the site. You put the heavy equipment on top and they cut the notch, you know, utilizing the heavy equipment. All right. And
0: I guess uh, when you have a list of projects and when you get together with your partners, it's pretty much maybe priority, which which is the most pressing need, but also, I guess, to, realistically speaking, it's where maybe you can find some uh, groups that are willing to, to throw in some money.
3: Correct, correct. Um, one, you know, we try to identify projects that are going to give us the biggest conservation benefit, you know, for for the money in- investment. And also, you know, we always want to reach out to groups that have an interest in conservation in the lower Mississippi River. This is a great, great opportunity uh, to be able to do something that has a huge conservation benefit,
0: and also, I guess, a project like this—it's—it's it's, um, to the average person who might be traveling along the Mississippi River where one of these is—as uh, as again, as we mentioned, when the river's at, at full level, you can't see it at all. But I think it's—it's it's almost like it's good work being done that that it goes—that's that, not noticeable. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Correct. Correct. Um, so, how will this
3: uh, benefit uh, maybe fishermen? The fishermen will be able to access these side channel areas uh, during times in which they normally would not be. Coffee Point, for example, would have been landlocked at 22 feet on uh, the Vicksburg gauge. Now water will flow into Coffee Point uh, down to 10 feet on the Vicksburg gauge. Boater access would be somewhere between 12 to 13 feet. So boaters and fishermen would have about another 10 feet uh, that they would be able to access. Uh, that, that particular side channel. If you could give us an idea of
0: the variation of... The, how, how much variation in the level of the Mississippi River occurs
3: maybe during a, a, a normal year? Over 50 feet is oh, wow. possible on yeah. an annual
2: year. It, it's it, pretty amazing. It, it, it is. is. <laughs>
3: you know, in 2011, the river topped out. It, it crested at 50, Was it 57.1 or 57.3. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it was over 57 feet at Vicksburg. And... I've seen earlier this year we were down to seven feet. Oh wow! You know, when we when we started the Coffee Point project, the river stage was at seven feet. So you, you ha- it's it's not uncommon for there to be fifty feet of variability in in the river stage over the course of a year.
0: I was found it fascinating too to think about the both the the animals and and wildlife, but then plants and things that are in those. Sorts of areas that they must really have to adapt to those huge fluctuations in, in you know if you you you're a creature and you've got some nice dry land one day in a couple of months you, you might be underwater so it's it's always interesting to me mm-hmm. how adaptable uh, wildlife can be uh, if you're listening to Creature Conference this morning and want to join the conversation with a phone call the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two Seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. So, Scott, I think you said that this project we're talking about was done in December. Is that right?
3: That's correct. We finished it uh, three days before Christmas. Okay.
0: Uh, how long does it usually take to do all the 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 creation of these uh, side channel reconnection projects?
3: It varies depending on the the size of the dike field. Usually, one to two days per notch. At Coffee Point, we cut three different notches. We, we cut one notch in three different dikes. So uh, it we basically spent about one day per one day per dike cutting a notch.
0: And again, you mentioned the, the Corps of Engineers is involved and they are the, the engineering part of it. So you go to them with maybe where you want to work and they're the ones that figure out where the notches go and, and how many notches, that kind of thing?
3: Yeah, we would work with the LMRCC to uh, identify some potential projects, uh, present it to... The core, and they basically, you know, turn it over to their engineers, and that they'll tell us which projects we can actually implement and which ones we cannot. And also, uh, they would handle the design, the okay. engineering design to their specifications. Uh, we've got uh, Sue in Beaumont on the line. Good morning, Sue. Go ahead.
2: Buenos dias. Hi, everyone. Good. I want to ask Scott uh, is there any more rumble from the Department of Energy about. Um, uh, using the Pascagoula and the Leaf River to flush out salt domes, or, or is that dead for now?
3: I have not heard anything new in regards to that.
2: Good, great. And I want to ask you one more question, if I could. Sure. How's the Sandhill Crane? Are they off the endangered list now or not? No, they're still listed as endangered. Are they are? Yeah. They're, their numbers have been, you know, we made progress right at first, and then it's kind of... Um, been some problems there have been genetic problems with them um yeah it's it it, you know i don't want to be too negative about it but the numbers are not increasing a lot oh it's a difficult bird to take care of okay well thank you all all right sue good to hear from
0: you uh this is creature comforts on mpb think radio we need to take another quick break when we get back we'll continue visiting with our guest who today is scott lemons from the mississippi chapter of the nature conservancy uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more
1: after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hardfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is out this week, so today we're visiting with Scott Lemons from the Mississippi chapter of the Nature Conservancy. He's director of the freshwater programs there, and we're talking about some of the work that the Conservancy is doing. So if you would like to join the conversation uh, with a question about the Nature Conservancy, or as I've said, if you have a brush with wildlife or a wildlife question that you'd like to share with us, we've got some open phone lines, and the number is one mpb ring It's one 672 Seven four six four. Scott, if you would, maybe uh, some personal background. Um, you know, obviously, you don't give us your whole life story. I don't want to delve too deeply, but give us an idea. Is 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 this? uh, You know, were you someone that, when growing up, would love the outdoors, that kind of thing? Where did you get your interest in in working in this field?
3: You know, I've I've been in the outdoors my entire life, hunting, fishing. Uh, It's just been a part of my always been a part of my life. I grew up fishing on the Mississippi River, and it's always been a special place for me. Um, and, and to be able to to work a career where I can turn around and uh, basically give back, you know, pr- uh, provide conservation benefits, you know, to to our fresh water in Mississippi and to the Mississippi River, to be able to do that for a living is truly a blessing, and it's something that you know it's it's very special to me. And uh, I don't know, I wouldn't want to do anything else. <laughs>
0: And I guess especially, you know, in a state like Mississippi, where we are, we are so really blessed with abundant natural resources. The work that the Nature Conservancy does, groups like the the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee, all these groups really working together. It's it's even more important in in these areas of the country where we can, you know, we're kind of we'd like to show off our our natural resources.
3: Correct, and we can make a difference.
0: Uh, let's talk about another uh, program.
3: It's the uh, Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. Uh, what is that all about? Okay, so uh, TNC worked with uh, the farms, USDA Farm Service Agency and a number of partners uh, to uh, bring Mississippi's first Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program to the state. Uh, it's been up and going about 18 months to two years now. Now, what this is, we offer three different conservation practices, uh, two of which, uh, well, well, one is CP... Uh, 22, which is uh, establishment of forest riparian buffers, CP23, which is a wetlands restoration option, and CP31, restoration of bottomland hardwoods. Now, the way that this program differs from regular CRP is that the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program offers a one-time sign-up incentive payment for landowners that enroll their land in The CREP program and that was made possible through private donations. Um, This program is offered in 13 of our Delta counties. We basically modeled it around the Yazoo River watershed. Uh, So 13 Delta counties landowners are eligible and it's basically for areas that are uh, wet and or marginal agricultural land and uh, it the, the landowners can enroll at their local county USDA office, Farm Service Agency office. Um, to date, I think we've got a little bit over 3,000 acres enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. Our goal was originally to re- originally reach 4,000 acres. Uh, enrollment is moving along very, very quickly. Uh, we have an agreement that, uh, basically that states if we reach our 4,000-acre goal, we can reach out for additional funding to enroll up to 8,000 acres in the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. Uh, So enrollment is very strong at this time. It's an excellent opportunity for landowners, uh, especially landowners who have, you know, marginal agricultural land that that floods frequently. Uh, It is a 15-year sign-up. Uh, it, with a one-time sign-up incentive payment. So basically the landowner would get a one-time sign-up incentive payment and then they would get soil rental rate uh annually uh, every year thereafter. So so a rental
0: in other words you continue to to pay them money basically for letting them have their land used yeah, for, for these for conservation. for putting the projects. land
3: back into the conservation practices, correct. And so
0: again, I guess the uh, the incentive to the landowner would be as you said if it's marginal agricultural land that floods Frequently, it's not dependable for growing things on there, so I, I would imagine it's, it's not useless, obviously, but it's something that uh, this is a way to maybe get more, more use out of land that otherwise might go uh, unused.
3: Yeah, it, it's, great. It, it's a great conservation practice to implement, and two, it, it helps offset the economic benefit of retiring or taking that land out of, out of agriculture, so go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, is it primarily duck habitat that you're creating? Is that
3: what well, bottomland hardwood forest and wetland yeah. restoration so options you- and riparian forest buffers? Yeah. yeah. What is a
0: and riparian, riparian means
2: Along the rivers. <laughs> okay. Along <Yeah>. the rivers. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: So all right. So uh, a landowner is interested in in this in the CREP program and they they sign up. Um, what do they get? Or do you do you help them? Uh, develop uh, conservation practices on their land? Do you come in and and do it for them? What happens once they join the program?
3: Once they sign up for the program, uh, they have to go through a due diligence process with with USDA. Uh, Soil samples will be taken. um, The acreage will be surveyed. uh, It will be approved. uh, If it's approved at the USDA level, it moves forward to the Mississippi Soil and Water Conservation Commission, uh, who is the agency that we partnered with to offer the sign up incentive payment that you know. And uh basically TNC reached out for private funding for the, the sign up incentive payment. And uh Mississippi Soil and Water Conservation Commission is actually the agency that we're funneling that funding through to issue the payment to the landowner.
0: Okay. Um so they get the money, but then again, do they do does someone come in and, and help them do whatever they need to do to their land to, yes. to restore yeah. it? Yeah. Yes, they will. Okay. Uh, We'll continue with that in just a minute. We've got a caller on the line. Scott's called in from Natchez this morning. Go ahead, Scott. You're on the air.
3: Yes, I'm
0: just curious. I haven't heard much talk about Asian carp in the last year or so, and I
3: was wondering what their status was, especially in the uh, Mississippi River. We've got CARP up and down the entire Mississippi River system at this time, and I wish I had an answer for what we could do to stop the spread of Asian CARP. There are a number of universities that are currently conducting research on Asian CARP. I know LSU is working on it, Mississippi State's working on it. I know uh, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Waterways Experiment Station is doing a number of research projects with Asian CARP. Uh, but at this time, there I am not aware of anything that we could do that to Asian carp that would not endanger other other fish species within the river so uh, uh, it's a very unfortunate situation with the Asian carp
2: we've got to catch them and eat them <laughs> Any time
3: an Asian carp jumps in your boat, please do not release the fish, yeah,
2: try to the
1: cold weather that we're having. That affect them in any way? I'd heard that they were very uh, susceptible to cold water.
2: People have been speculating and hoping that it might, but I guess we'll we'll see. It's it didn't in the, it hadn't in the past. It ha-
3: yes, okay. it has not in, in years past. And even though it's extremely cold outside, you know the the surface temperature, the river temperature, is still around forty, forty two degrees. So. Thank you. All
0: right, Scott, thanks for the call. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join the conversation on Creature Comforts, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 877 672 7464 If you want to call in and, and ask about the work of the Nature Conservancy, spe- specifically the freshwater programs that Scott's in charge of, or if you have a brush with wildlife or a wildlife question that you need answered, uh, we'll see if we can't help you out uh, as well. Again, the number is one 672 seven four six four and it, it, the asian carp i think we we chatted about that uh throughout the uh, months on creature comments and i remember it seems like the last time we were talking about it i thought someone had said that the someone was trying to develop like a a, a dog food or a pet food from it or also just to get maybe people interested in, in eating them so uh
2: and yeah in fact i think we've there's been some problems with the pet food things because it's they to build a factory to make pet food you need a you know a steady supply you got to be able to count on a certain number of fish they're not that easy to catch you know when you don't want one they jump in your boat but when you go out there <laughs> to catch them they're hard to catch uh, now the a human food we've really developed some good markets around the country there are restaurants that are doing it we eat it fairly often and um it's it uh, you know I, my husband's been i guess one of the advocates of this so he's taken food foodies out on the river several times now to do that and there've been several cooking shows that highlighted asian carp There are a couple of uh, smaller companies that are promoting Asian carp as food and actually selling it commercially to restaurants. So we're hoping that will take off. But again, they have to have a good way to catch the carp.
0: So you said you've, you've eaten, how would you describe the taste of an Asian carp?
2: The taste of it is, is absolutely excellent. The hard part, I think, for uh, fishermen that catch one, you can't just fillet it. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, it's the way the bones are situated in there, it's hard to do. And now I guess the good thing is they grow so fast you can't eat a large fish, and it's much easier to get a food, you know, a good piece to cook out of a large fish because then the bones are large and you can get them out of there. But you can't just cut a fillet easily. But we've decided that it's kind of worth it to to deal with the bones because it's, it's a really good tasting fish.
0: So I think we just need to come up with some fancy name for it, and then all these fancy restaurants will start to (laughs) –
2: And I can't remember. There there are a couple of names that it's now going by uh, on the West Coast. Yeah, that's right, Silverfin. Yeah, doesn't that sound better? Yeah, that that sounds
0: much more tasty than Asian Carp, Yeah, yeah, I think we'll
2: leave the word carp out every time we're going to sell it, yeah.
0: All right, so, um, Scott, um, you said the, that the, we're talking about the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program, and this is where uh, landowners uh, basically agreed to sort of lease out their land long-term uh, to be involved in some conservation programs. And I think you mentioned uh, primarily dealing with counties in, in the Delta. Wh- which counties in Mississippi are eligible uh, for this
3: program? All right, there's 11 counties eligible within the Delta. I'm going to go through my list here, and I'm going to try not to leave anybody out. Um, you got Cahoma, Bolivar, Humphreys, Holmes, Lafleur, Sunflower, Washington, Sharkey, Issaquina, Who am I leaving out? Yazoo. Okay. Yeah. So eleven out of thirteen Delta counties are eligible for the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program.
0: And again, we we kind of brushed on this uh, briefly, but when conservation efforts like this take place, what are the what types of wildlife uh, uh, benefit from? restoring land uh, conserving land sort of bringing it back to what it was
3: originally you, well, you, you get multiple benefits from from uh, uh, the CREP program one the vegetation that we plant ar- along these field edges helps reduce the volume of, of uh, sediment and erosion nutrient runoff that's entering our waterways it helps capture that before it ever enters enters the river system so that, that that's one huge benefit too All of our wildlife species can benefit from it, everything from white-tailed deer, um, waterfowl, neotropical migrant songbirds, provides travel corridors for Louisiana black bears. Uh, Benefits to fisheries include improved water quality. uh, uh, And and again, uh, you know, for species such as alligator gar, whose whose, uh, numbers have been in decline, you know, improved water quality gar, pallid sturgeon, uh, freshwater mussels, endless conservation benefits.
0: All right, let's take uh, one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up. Today we're uh, visiting with Scott Lemons, the Director of Freshwater Programs for the Mississippi Chapter of the Nature Conservancy. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to call in at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Back to wrap up the show after this short break.
1: Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
0: Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, out for a couple of weeks. He'll be back, I think, probably in February Uh, In the meantime, though, today we're visiting with Scott Lemons. He is Director of Freshwater Programs for the Mississippi chapter of the Nature Conservancy. So we've been talking a little bit about the work that the Nature Conservancy has done here in Mississippi. Earlier in the show, we talked about... uh, The work uh, with the Lower Mississippi River Conservation Committee, side channel reconnection projects, basically reconnecting parts of the Mississippi River uh, during low levels uh, to make sure that uh, wildlife has that fresh water uh, flowing through there to uh, support that. And now we're also talking about the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. Uh, This is where landowners uh, volunteer to rent out their land for long term and agree to do some work to uh, to conserve that land, so Scott, I guess these are—is it primary land that would be somewhat adjacent to or near a river, stream, that sort of thing? Correct, some type of waterway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, you mentioned uh, one of the examples you gave was—you uh, know—you might plant some vegetation along the riverbank to to uh, to help uh, prevent erosion and that sort of thing. And again, when the landowner gets involved in the program, part of the work of the partners is to help them know what sort of vegetation to plant, where to plant it, that kind of thing?
3: Yeah, and, and the, the, that's all – the species that are planted, it, it's all under, you know, USDA guidelines. Right. A number of bottomland hardwood species that, that are suitable for that particular soil type in that site.
0: What are some of the other uh, things, other than, as, as we mentioned, you know, sort of planting some vegetation? Are there some other things that uh, are involved in these uh, programs and projects?
3: It's primarily uh, tree planting and planting of mm-hmm. native gra- native warm season grasses, and then as you mentioned, it it it, it,
0: it lots of benefits because I imagine um, once it sort of takes hold, then wildlife and other creatures that would that in that need that habitat would discover it, and it, it really would promote uh, that. And so it's um, not only animals, but I guess also are there a chance that other kind of native plants might reestablish themselves? Absolutely.
3: I mean, absolutely.
0: It's sort of like you're giving it the little push and then you're kind of letting nature take over and do its natural thing. That's correct. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, So um, if someone is interested, uh, a landowner is interested, what is the, the pr- procedure they go through? I think at, earlier you were mentioning how there is sort of a an evaluation of the land that that's being offered. What what, are the, what is the project or what is the, the procedure there?
3: The landowner would first need to contact their county farm service agency office or, or county USDA office in general. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, just go in there and, and discuss, you know, the, I have an interest in enrolling some acreage in the CREP program. They have the enrollment forms at each of the county offices, and uh, uh, the, county, the county agent kind of takes it from there.
0: And do you, um, without getting maybe too specific, what are what are the things that that they're looking for? I mean, what you know, what is it? If I'm a landowner, what is it about my land that that makes me a, a good fit for a program like this?
3: Your soil type, your uh, uh, proximity to a wetland area, or what we consider hydric soils, uh, wetland type soils. Those are the two primary things and you i think you mentioned that this program has been going on for for more than a year it has we're going on a year and a half working on two years that this uh that this program has uh has been established um, What is the reaction from landowners it, very very strong uh once the word got out about the crep program uh it, it every time that we get an invoice and you know basically we we get billed you know monthly invoicing for for the enrollments and every month it continues to grow and grow and grow as the word gets out about the program it's it's becoming very popular and we've had a relatively even distribution of enrollments across the 11 delta counties
0: and i guess too one of the benefits would be if you are someone who owns land and enjoy nature that as you become involved in these programs you'll see again maybe increased wildlife uh, plants, native plants, and that sort of thing. So it really does transform the land that, as we mentioned, a lot of times you said it was um, marginal agricultural land, which is kind of doing their nothing. But this really um, enhances the land and maybe is a, is a benefit just from, you know, aesthetics for, for the landowners.
3: Absolutely. And, and again, it, it you know, the, the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program helps offset, you know, the it, the cost of taking, of retiring that land or taking it out of out of uh, agriculture and putting it under easement.
0: And I think you mentioned that uh, the Nature Conservancy, that their involvement in the program was sort of working with uh, private uh, entities to kind of give the seed money, to give this uh, incentive money for for the landowners.
3: Correct, we reached out to a number of, of uh, private partners uh, to, to raise private funding in which uh, USDA matches with federal funding. Uh, number of partners, and I don't want to leave anybody out, uh, I'm sitting here trying to think of everyone, uh, the Walton Family Foundation, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality, Delta Wildlife. i um, trying to think. I don't want to leave anybody out. But yeah, we, we reached out to a, a number of private partners. Oh, the Arbor Day Foundation, uh, Nature Conservancy's Plant of Bee and Trees Program was a big contributor. Uh, so all of these partners work together to raise private funding that will be matched with federal funding for this program.
0: And I guess uh, it it really is important because I think you know both of the projects we've been talking about today have a number of, of partners, and I guess when you know when resources are scarce and that sort of thing, the the more time you can get groups of people kind of working together, the better off you can reach your goal.
3: Absolutely, and you know the partnerships are the most important aspect of you know from the nonprofit standpoint working in conservation in Mississippi we value our partners we value our landowners we can't do anything you know we can't do what we do without those partnerships very important it's very very uh, essential to our mission all right let's see
0: if we can't sneak this final phone call in before the hour ends it's Jerry in Rankin County good morning Jerry go ahead please
1: Uh, yes I had a question can municipalities participate in this program that you're talking about like you know Jackson Flowood you know or any of the uh, little towns up in the delta, I'll get off and listen to
3: your answer. The, it is specific to the eleven delta counties. Uh, the The land does indeed have to be in agricultural production w- at the time of enrollment. So, with that said, if a if a city or municipality had land that was under agricultural production, then possibly, uh, I, I have not had. That has not come up yet at, at this time. All right.
0: Uh, just about 15 seconds left. If folks have heard about the Nature Conservancy,
3: where can they find out more about the work? A website, that sort of thing? Yes. Uh, go to our website at nature.org. And you can also also reach our uh, Madison office. And you can also contact uh, myself at 662-803-1691. Uh, I'll be happy to talk, you know, anybody, anytime about the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts
0: is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded and provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating 20 years of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife, and contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. So for Libby Hartfield and our guest Scott Lemons, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.